0: Well, let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are faithful. I thank you that your word is alive and living. And it has been that way for centuries. And it will continue to be that way for eternity. So I ask that you open our hearts, our minds, to receive what you have for us today. Be a release of your spirit, and I surrender this to your hands in Jesus' name, Amen. It's crazy. No matter how many times you preach, you still get a little nervous. So my body can't tell if this is a shake, wake, or a microphone. <laughs> well, let's uh, let's start in Acts two. Let's just jump into it. I don't want to keep you forever. And we're going to jump down and skip all the nations that were around. And go to um, verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice, addressed them, Men of Judah and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third day, third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Every male and on every male servant and female servant. In those days I will pour out my spirit. And they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood, fire, vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. Before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So there's this beautiful thing. The Spirit pours out, and they all get called drunk, and Peter goes, no, 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 let's look in Joel 2. This is a fulfillment of the prophecy. What's interesting, though, is that right there it talks about the pouring out of the Spirit, Dream dreams, visions, and then it kind of goes into this darkness of like blood, fire, blood moon, that kind of stuff. But that I don't think actually happened on that moment. And so what Peter's saying is Peter's saying that Joel 2 is a prophecy of the day, to the, Lord, the day of the Lord that's just come to come to pass. So a lot of the old prophets and the old prophetic books, there's like a and, and now and then. Where it's like there's a, there's a fulfillment of part of it. And then there's a fulfillment to come, and that's what Joel 2. So let's all switch and flip to Joel two. And in Joel two, what's happening is Joel there's a there's a national calamity in Joel over Judah and Israel. And Joel describes locusts coming, and there's famine. And everything's getting eaten up. Everyone's hopeless, and they've turned from the Lord. And so Joel calls all the inhabitants of Israel and Judea to turn, repent, and lament to the Lord. So Joel twelve or two twelve to sixteen. Yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning, and render your hearts, and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion and consecrate a fast. Call a solemn assembly, gather the people, consecrate the generation, assemble the elders, gather the children, even the nursing infants, let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. What's interesting is the bridegroom leave her his room and the bride her chamber. It's pretty custom that when somebody would get married, there'd be a whole year where you didn't go to war even if you were of age. That everybody kind of lets you do your thing. So it's a pretty intense lament and call to repentance if even those who were called that they were given that grace for a year to spend time with their bride or their groom. To even come out of the bride chamber. Because I I genuinely believe that the Lord wants to pour out his spirit upon Gateway. I genuinely believe that. We're going to go on a little bit of journey of what that looks like. But I think there's something that we kind of missed before that. See, there's, there's national calamity in, in Judea and Israel, and it might not look the same because the war today doesn't look like World War II where there's battlefield. And it's more like the Cold War where it's kind of secret. You don't really see what the enemy's doing, but he's kind of sifting and he's, he's poking and he's deceiving you. And so there is actual national calamity, even in Canada. And I believe that this is a word for Gateway as a church that he's calling us to to a place of repentance. Because repentance is, is a remorse by having lost God's approval, but with a desire and a hope and an action to change one's actions and turn to the Lord. See, we often associate repentance with just saying, Lord, I'm a sinner. Come and save me. Amen. But with the genuine repentance, it's not just, oh, I'm a sinner. It's, Lord, I actually did that one thing. There's a specific item, action that comes with repentance. It's not a generalized, Lord, I'm a sinner. There's more to it. Because, see, but godly repentance requires a forsaking of the old way. And it's really hard to forsake the old way if all you say is, I'm a sinner, because you don't know what to forsake. <laughs> Because you can accept Jesus and say, Lord, I'm a sinner, forgive me, repent, and move forward. But in that you don't receive the full life that God has for you. There's more to it. So we look in Matthew five, four, in the Beatitudes, it says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall inherit the earth. Then 2 Corinthians seven ten says, Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to repentance without regret. See, a genuine repentance requires a genuine look at yourself. And it's kind of scary. It's kind of scary. See, I, I grew up kind of going to church. Didn't always, like, until I was like 10, maybe. Then we didn't really go to church for a really long time. And uh, life was a little rough, I got bullied my mom left when I was like 16 and I broke my heart Um, and I used to, I was never, I was bullied so I never, nobody was really my friend (laughs) and so I tell them things that I did on the weekend like yeah I went to this party yeah I did this cool thing but in all reality I was on my couch babysitting my brothers and sisters but they didn't know that so I perceived and put off this persona that I was something that I wasn't the problem with that is once my heart broke my mom leaving, and the brokenness of my family. What I told people I did on the weekends became my reality. So I did go to parties. I did do kind of the crazy things. To the point where I actually became an alcoholic. And Then when I was 18, I was arrested. And that threw my life upside down. I was sitting in the holding cell and all I remember from like being 10 all I remember oh, it's like his voice was like reminding me and it was like vision after vision of, in Sunday school when I was 10 years old them saying the Lord forgives you he loves you he will not leave you or forsake you and so I remember being there and being like Lord if you're real I need you and it was like this wave of like warmth and comfort came At the time, I had no idea what that was, but it was really weird. Fast forward a year, I'm like in and out of church, still kind of partying, still kind of not. And I get out of jail, and I said, "Lord, I'm, I'm yours and yours alone." And it was like in that moment, I had not a desire for alcohol. In that moment. Because the Lord, it was like the Lord showed me, and he just revealed all the things in my life. And how all the specific things that I was doing that I said, man, Lord, why am I doing this? And then he called me to Eston, and he did some crazy things over there. But I'm going to be honest, like the only reason that kind of life change happened is one, because the Lord is faithful and just, and he disciplines those who he loves. And I had to be honest with myself. I had to look at myself and go, man, actually, you know what? I am broken, and I am in need of a sinner, a savior, because I am a sinner, (laughs) Because Ephesians four twenty-two, it's a putting off of the old man, and to receive the new man. But I don't know if we realize how much like to put off an old man kind of hurts. Like it, we call it dying to self, and there's a reason it uses the word dying, because dying involves grief. There's mourning. It's kind of painful. Because you are got to put off what you don't want to do. Like, you're, you really, you really want to hold on to this sin. You really want to hold on to this thing. And you're like, but come on. It's, it's, like, I don't mind it. It's not that bad, Lord. I justify it. I'm fine. But if you really honestly look at it, you realize, no, actually it breaks the Father's heart. And to stop hurts. So we turn to Psalm 119. Verse 25 to 31. Psalm 119, verse 25 to 31. And it reads, My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. When I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far, behind, far from me, and graciously teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord, let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. See, the psalmist in Psalm 119 is doing exactly that, lamenting over his sin. In the NLT version, that first verse, My soul clings to the dust, it reads, I lie in the dust. Revive me by your word. Nobody who feels good about themselves lies in the dust. So he's, he's, he's lament, lament, lamenting. Almost made a new word there. Ramenting. He's lamenting of the sin because he's being honest about himself. But you know what the beautiful thing is here? It's when he says, when I told you of my ways, you answered me. He was sitting in the dust, lamenting over his ways because he genuinely looked at himself and said, man, I need you, Lord. And he cried out and, and confessed to the Lord all the things that he did. And you know what the Lord did? He answered him. He did not turn his face or forsake him, but he answered him. so there's a difference between blessed so are those who mourn, for they will inherit their kingdom of the world, and wallowing in your sin. See, Psalm 119 also shows us that difference. See, a wallowing has no hope. A wallowing says, I am terrible. There's no hope for me. But if you read Psalm 119, he says, I cling to the dust. So he realizes his brokenness. He confesses to the Lord and the Lord answers him. But then he continually says, but he walks with hope. He says, he cries out, Lord, make me understand your precepts and I will meditate on your wondrous words. For my soul melts away with sorrow, but strengthen me. There's a hope and understanding that when we repent to the little father, that he's right there with us. So let's go back to Joel 2. So now Joel calls them all to repentance. And then in verse 18, it says, Then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. The Lord answered and said to his people, Behold, I am sending you grain, wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied, and I will make you no more make you a reproach among the nations. The Lord became jealous. See, God, the beautiful thing about God is God isn't like us. We're made in his image which means that all his emotions are pure. So when we think of jealousy, it's not the same jealousy. When we think of anger, it's not the same anger. We have to be careful that when we interpret scripture and God's emotions that we're not putting our emotions upon him. Because a righteous jealousy is a zeal to protect a love relationship that was broken. And so God becomes jealousy, jealous for his land and his people. Because sin is a disordered love. It's love in the wrong place. And he's jealous for us. He wants you. He'll leave the 99 to come after you. His jealousy is his zeal to protect what's rightfully his. We are rightfully his. And he doesn't want to share us. But the beautiful thing is that in his jealousy, he makes a way. In his jealous love for us and for relationship with us, he sent his son. And his son took a beating for us. Why? Because he's jealous for our love. So we turn back to Joel 2. We go down to verse 28 and 29. And it says, It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. And even on the male and the female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit. When he says, I will pour out my spirit, it's like water out of a cup, pouring out. See, now we turn back to Acts 2, that's that fulfillment. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. But then in Acts 4, 23 to 31 We read in verse thirty one. And when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So if you read Acts two and you read Acts four, Peter's in both of them. So you do know what that means, right? That means that we need a fulfillment. A fulfilling of the spirit, a pouring out of the spirit regularly. See, as a believer of Christ, you repent and then you believe. And then the more you believe, the more you repent. And we like to call it in the Pentecostal movement, revival. Lord, bring revival. But revival is defined as an awakening or a quickening of God's people to their true nature and purpose. He's going to pour out his spirit. He's going to awaken us to our true nature and purpose. He's going to bring revival to our souls. He's going to awaken us to our true nature and purpose. We need that regularly. Because I'll be honest, I need it. I've been crying out for weeks, Lord. I feel like I'm in the dumps. Or why am I doing what I don't want to do? Why am I so selfish? Why am I so inconsiderate? Why do I have fear beyond understanding? I needed him to revive my soul again because it's a continuing process. Philippians 3.1, I'm confident in this very thing that you began a good work and you will bring it to completion. It's a regular occurrence over and over and over and over again from one degree of glory to the other. See in Acts two and Acts four, the Spirit comes, and we see the we see the, you know, the Spirit the gifts of the Spirit tongues prophesying. That's what Acts two talks about, and Joel two talks about spirit prophecy. All these gifts that are beautiful things. But what's interesting about Acts two and Acts four is they both end with something too. See Acts two ends with the fellowship of the believers. Acts two forty two and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions, belongings, and distributing the proceeds to all. As any had need, and day by day attending the temple, together breaking bread in their homes, they received food with gladness and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were saved. Then we turn to Acts four thirty-two. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as they had need. So Acts 2, it's like, okay, yeah. Hey, this is the first time they're getting filled with the Holy Spirit. That makes sense. You know, it would be pretty powerful. But the interesting thing is that in Acts 4, Peter and John go before the council because they're preaching the gospel, and they're threatened. Do not do this. And they preached with boldness, "Do not do." And then they were threatened, "Do not do this." So they come back to the church and they cry out to the Father. They don't cry out, "Change the laws of the land." They don't cry out, "Make it so we can preach the gospel." They don't cry out, "Do something to these people." They cry out, "Lord, make us bold in the circumstance." But they already were bold but they still cried, I'll oh, make us bold again. That means that we need a continuation of that boldness. We need a continuation of a pouring out of the spirit, a reviving of our soul to the true nature and purpose that God has for us. It's not a once and done thing where we repent and believe and the more we believe, we repent. And the other thing is, is that When they had all things in common and they were selling the possessions, this was not communism. They were not forced. (laughs) They did it. They chose to do this. If you read in Psalm 119, right at the bottom, that last verse, it says, Enlarge my heart so I will follow your ways. Then we read Ezekiel 36. Let's all turn to it. Ezekiel 36, 26 to 27. Got way too many sticky notes. I don't know which one it is. Nope. Apparently, I must have already wrecked that sticky note somewhere. I always forget where Ezekiel is. There it is Ezekiel 36, 26 to 27. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit and I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Psalm 119, enlarge my heart and I will follow your ways. Ezekiel 36, which Ezekiel, as well as another prophet that just cried out in the previous chapters, the Lord's concerned for his people because people are forsaking his ways. And so they turn and the Lord said, makes a promise, but I will do this. So in Joel 2, there's a promise that he's going to pour out a spirit. And in Ezekiel 36, there's a promise, I'm going to pour out my spirit, but I'm also going to change your heart of stone to a heart of flesh. And I'm going to give you the ability to follow my statutes. So we're pouring out of the spirit isn't just gifts of spirit. It's the enabling to follow what the Lord has for us. Because they didn't, they didn't just desire to sell all their stuff for no reason. <laughs> their enlar- hearts were enlarged. And their heart of stone was turned to a heart of flesh. And they willingly gave up the things that they needed. See, we kind of sometimes ideal, idolize the gifts of the Spirit. And we forget, though, that the fruit of the Spirit is the foundation on which the gifts of the Spirit stand. So the gifts of the Spirit, love, or fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. There's probably another one, I forgot it. You can find it in Galatians 5. But 1 Corinthians 13 says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. you catching it? We need this pouring out of the Spirit, because we actually need our hearts to be changed. We don't need the pouring out of the Spirit and the revival so that we can prophesy more and speak in tongues more. No, we need it because our hearts need to be changed. Because we don't desire to do this naturally. Our heart is deceitful above all things. And we see that because we turn back to Acts 5. See, Joel 2, render your heart, not your garments. Even in Joel, Old Testament says, render your heart, not your garments. Or a different, verse, uh, different translation says, tear your hearts, not tear your garments. See, the, there's a couple times in the Bible where people would rip their clothes as a show of like, I'm lamenting and I'm repenting, Lord. But what Joel is saying in Joel 2, render your heart, not your garments, it says, I don't care what you do there. I want your heart. I want it to be genuine. I don't want it to be, it be a show. But in order for it to be genuine, we have to be genuine with ourselves. You see, Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5, we see that they sold their stuff, just like everybody else did in the end of chapter 4 of Acts. They sold and they had everything in common. They were selling their lands. And Ananias and Sapphira, they sold their land, but they kept some of it. But they didn't tell anybody. How good does it look when you sell part of your land and you give it up? But it looks really good to everybody on the outside. But the apostles, they called them out because they knew. Ananias and Sapphira, they didn't render their hearts, they rendered their garments, and they looked like they did. I genuinely believe the Lord's saying, Hey, Gateway, wake up. Where's your heart at? Because that's the beautiful thing about pouring out of the Spirit. Is that he gives us the ability to follow him. He enlarges our heart. He changes our heart of stone to a heart of flesh. That's his promise. I get the worship team to come up. And so I believe that the Lord's calling us to look at ourselves a little honestly. And not with hopelessness, because He promises that He's going to answer our cries. He's going to enlarge our hearts. He's going to pour out His Spirit. It's not without hope. He's faithful, He says in Psalm 119 I'm going to tell you of my ways, and you're going to answer me. We're not going to wallow in it. He didn't come to die on the cross. and resurrect just so we can sit and be like, "Woe's me, I'm a sinner. He came to give us life and life abundantly, but it requires us to be honest with ourselves and acknowledge that, you know what, yeah, Lord, I did mess up. And then we cry out for his pouring of the Spirit and he enlarges our heart. I'm going to actually ask like, the prayer team even to come up to the front. And as we uh, sing this next song, I ask you to be honest with yourself. Well, like, what thing? What thing have I justified? What thing am I not willing to be honest with yourself? And you know what? It's terrifying. It's terrifying to be honest with yourself, especially because the, the world teaches us seek pleasure over pain. But a genuine grief hurts. There's 2 Corinthians seventeen. But a godly re- grief produces repentance, and repentance that you will not regret. So Father, I ask right now that you awaken our hearts and our minds to what you want to say to us right now. Father, come and revive our souls and our hearts. Let us be reminded of our true nature and purpose in you, Jesus. That you are a jealous God and you chase us with tenacity and vigor. That you will not leave us or forsake us. Jesus, we cry out for the outpouring of your spirit not because I want to prophesy and want to speak tongues, Lord, but because I want the enlargement of my heart. Change my heart of stone to a heart of flesh.